Hello. And we're and we're okay. live and we're recording. And we we're are recording. Well, welcome. live in quotes quotes here. Yes. Uh, we welcome to another edition of oh, I should say another marooned edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 29th, 2020, almost another month down in the year 2020. Can you believe it? Four months in? Yeah, and I think we've been doing these marooned podcasts for about 40 days now. Yeah, over a month now. Yep, so um, you can send the flood. You can start stop the flood now. <laughs> stop. But one thing that doesn't stop is the Media Boat Podcast. We are continuing the show even beyond the um, our studio. Brave. The great world that we live in. Live streaming traditions. Um, if you are new to the podcast somehow, we here at the Media Boat Podcast talk about, well, media, including movies, television, video games, and music. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. This order is probably going to get changed up if things continue the way they are. <laughs> Who knows? Because, yeah, we're slim pickings. We were talking about right before we recorded. Slim pickings on stories these days. Uh, so, uh, But here they are. Here's what we were able to dig up this week. Uh, whether they're interesting enough or not, you make the call. <laughs> Hey, they're interesting to some people, or at least we will make them interesting. Let's make it interesting by jumping right into it. We always start movies with, well, movie news because there is no box office. So let's talk about how the streaming box office is affecting the theater chains. Why don't we? Yes. Uh, as we noted, Trolls World Tour went away from being released in theaters to premium video on demand. PVOD, as yes. we'll call it. You know, PVOD. Everybody's using that term. <laughs> it's, yeah. the, it's the accepted word we all use. Well, because it's not SVOD. No. Or SVOD. It's PVOD. It's on demand. Yep. It is. But it's premium. Three weeks after the digital release of Trolls World Tour, it has, according to Universal, racked up nearly $100 million in rentals. Uh, while this figure is smaller than the $153.7 million that the first Trolls film collected at the domestic box office in actual real-life theaters back in the day, the revenue that Universal has secured has been about the same for the two films, despite the change. See... Theaters typically take out about 50% of box office sales. So Trolls really only made $77 million for Universal, while the digital rental or purchase fee for Trolls World Tour is around 80% of its total. Additionally, Universal's The Invisible Man, The Hunt, Emma, and Never Rarely Sometimes Always, which we did not cover here, so I don't know what movie that is. It's a movie. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. <laughs> they have all generated around $60 million in rental fees, $48 million of which has gone straight to Universal. 
Well, as you might imagine, the theater companies are not too thrilled about this. Uh, no, because that's uh, 50% of their take gone. Yeah. No norm would be going to them. In response to these numbers that Universal has revealed, Cineworld, Regal, and AMC have said they will not show future Universal films. Dun, 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 dun. As they have failed to, as they have, quote, failed to respect the release windows, unquote, as such a move does not make economic sense when Universal plans to move, maybe permanently, to a video-on-demand model. Could this change movies as we know it? Uh, The theater chain response was in direct response to the Wall Street Journal article where this is pulled from. Um, Universal, or the head of Universal, one of the heads, vice president, I think, um, basically said that this these numbers did so well that perhaps in the future they would go to a simultaneously home release as well as a theater release. Mm-hmm. And that prompted the theaters to say, well, that's going to nip us in the bud. So if you're going to do that, we don't want any part of your business then. Yeah. Seeing as they're not hurting for businesses right now. Yeah. Um, do you think... Well, I guess this is two-pronged. One, do you think the movie theaters will eventually play ball if Universal uh, still goes through with this? Do you think eventually they'll realize that there's no changing Universal's mind and they'll get back on their movie, like, to releasing their movies? Or do you think this is done? Like, do you think they're just like, all right, well, wash our hands of Universal completely. I think that's going to actually be put on pause until theaters actually reopen. Yeah. Uh, But even when they do reopen, there's talks of them reopening in the summer for only housing big tentpole releases like Warner Brothers Tenet Uh film. And hopefully that would mean that Disney would bring Black Widow out or Mulan. Maybe. Some other big temple film to get people back into theaters because even though theaters only take 50% of the box office they make up like 300% markup value in popcorn and soda sales yeah which is where bulk of their um, revenues are generated at the concession stand right the other question about this do do other studios uh, follow this model and present the option, say, for example, next week, does the Wall Street Journal report a story about Bob Iger saying, hey, this has made us a lot of money uh, doing this digital release. Maybe we also will do simultaneous releases. Well, they've already announced that Artemis Fowl will be moving to Disney Plus instead of getting a stream, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of getting a theater theatrical release. Right, but... I I do think that this is I mean specifically what Universal is saying here, that beyond the pandemic. Beyond the pandemic, I believe this is a good sign because it's a 30% difference in market return value. Sure, yes, but what I'm asking is, do the movie theater chains then also drop Disney? Um, Do they just just realize that that's the wave of the future and give up? I mean, if they drop Disney, then... 
Disney has Disney Plus and streaming on demand stuff as I'm well. Not, no, I'm not talking about what the studios think about this. I mean the theater chains. Oh, would a theater chain drop Disney? That's literally what I'm asking. Is that is the big question then. Because that's a way bigger move, right? And then, or do they just then see Disney making that move? Well, you see like, the three well, big ones of Universal, Warner Brothers, and Disney. Yeah, because I think that's what has to happen for the theaters to give up, to wave the white flag, is to basically like, see, if everybody's doing it, then it's like, well, we can't exist as a business if we don't carry their movies. I think you might see a different take on the split. Because right now it's at 50% revenue split. Yeah. But if they give up some of that, the movie theaters give up to, say, drop to 30% in order to get people to come back to the theater, in order to play ball with these uh, movie companies. It's all about... Uh, it's I don't macroeconomic the, business models here. Yeah, I don't think that the theater chains have enough leverage there. Oh, no, they don't. I think ultimately they're going to have to roll over and let the studios do what they're going to do. It's just a matter of time whether they, when they do that. Yeah, but it's also a matter of do movie theaters then just become a premium format of what they've been trending to the past five, ten years. Yeah. At least what Disney has been doing, which is you put out your big tent pole $250 million films in theaters because they'll make $500 million back. Yeah, but like, I think that to a certain extent they are, yeah, I think you're right. Like to a certain extent, it's already been framed that way for a lot of people. A lot of people do view oh, going to see a movie is a thing that's very reserved for a specific kind of experience for a specific kind of movie. Like, I know people who are like, oh, I'm only going to see the Marvel movie when it comes out. Or like, I'm only going to see the Pixar movie when it comes out. And then besides those two movies, like a year, they'll never go to the movies and they'll just wait for releases. It's really only been the delay of a home release and that want to be in like a zeitgeist of a release that is the only driving factor to get people in movie theaters these days. So if that's removed completely. Right. It removes the, that zeitgeist of, Oh my God, you have to go see this film. It was amazing. People talking about it, people tweeting about it when you can have that same experience from your home. Yeah. It's interesting that movie, the movie industry is having this conversation because it happened in video games 10 years ago. I you don't mean know if with, with midnight releases and it being instant but Yeah, in the, the 360 era, I remember listening to video game podcasts at the time. Around like 2008, 2009, there was just starting to be talk about Microsoft doing full digital releases, which they did end up doing, full digital releases of their, their games and third-party games that you could just download. And I remember the conversation at the time was, oh, the stores, like game, the GameStops of the world are not going to have it. They're going to be pissed. They're going to pull support if Microsoft goes through with this. That conversation seems insane now when it's now completely accepted that video games get released digitally on day one. Well, they get released before then, and they 
they're waiting to be unlocked until <laughs> time timed out on their uh, consoles. Yeah, that's all in part and parcel. Releases, day one release. PM releases, wherever. But what I'm saying is, is eventually GameStop gave up, and I think that's your. That's what I see happening with movies. It's just that the difference between those two things is, like I said, there's going to be so little that the theaters can say or do to say that their experience is better. We're going to have, I don't know, do they do another? Is it, we're go, are we entering into another era of the gimmick when co- talking about movie theaters? Remember, the last round of this was 3D movies. Right. And, and that the studios was, gave up on that, too. Well, they gave up on that when box office stopped slipping and when movie theaters themselves stopped making actual 3D films and kept post-converting everything. Yeah. The quality dropped dramatic, dramatically to where what? it became a waste of a gimmick. What do theaters do? What do theaters do if they have to accept digital on demand on day one? What did they try? Special releases. But no, what if they can't do that is what I'm saying. Like what if it's, I mean, by July, Peacock will be out. Yeah. And everyone, all the three major studios will have their own streaming services, which they can put their own content on. What what are the theater? What can they do? What do they do? Like, does D Box make a comeback? VR. Yeah. Do they they do like VR movie experiences? Yeah, you do VR movie experiences. I personally, I just want every movie to be D Box from now on. You want that rubble in your jungle? (laughs) Yes, I do. It's like just can't I'm really struggling with this. I just can't imagine like how big of a change that would be if the studios all did this. Well, it has to be a big enough change to where you're gonna spend sixty dollars uh-huh. to go watch something or experience something rather than spending the twenty dollar ticket at home where your entire family can watch it for forty eight hours or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Who will do that? Well, who or what will they become? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's a lot of what ifs, but uh, it'll be a very interesting thing to watch as this year goes on. Well, it is because theaters. One thing about theaters is that it's the shared experience of. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is the midnight release, seeing it weekend one, and having that shared experience of something new that you're all experiencing at the same time. Yeah. What can match it? is the big question then yep and we won't know for a very long time and this is where now hear me out i'm throwing a hell mary aaron Rodgers pass here okay remember about two years ago we were talking about lightstrom the james cameron company and how they were creating projectors for glassless 3d projections Yes, I remember this now. I think that is going to be the next big thing. Okay. I think that the theater companies are going to have to partner with him and that technology to create glassless 3D films or glassless 3D productions to get people back into that shared audience space because it's something that they cannot experience at home. Yeah, 
again, that's what, and see, that's the kind of answer I was looking for is like, what are, what are they going to do? And yeah, you're probably right. Is that well, that's a reasonable gimmick to do. I know you got to give me like about five minutes to think back what we've talked on and what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember all the talk we talked about like late, yeah, the laser stuff, like that's going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. Something right. that makes the experience more than just being in the home, more than just watching mm-hmm. a film. It has to be that shared experience that you have to go see. And that's what IMAX was. That's what 3D was. Yeah. I think that's what glassless 3D will be. Yeah. All right. Now that we've spent like, I swear, like 20 minutes on the first story. <laughs> let's move hey, on to our second story. You're the one asking hypotheticals here. I, I know because it's a fascinating thing because this is one of those rare moments on this podcast where I feel like we're going to be referencing back to this story as the story that changed some shit. The story of the year? This, this is, yes, this is almost that. Because, like, I imagine that this is the conversation we're going to be happening in 2021. It's like, hey, remember when the coronavirus pandemic made all the studios decide that video on demand on day one made sense? Well, it gives them the better deal, like right. money. But yes, I think you're right. That is it's, something it's, that's going to this is the thing. This definitely is the change the landscape. Like they probably already knew that internally, but this is the moment where they had the balls to do it. Right, but they probably knew that internally, but also had these deals set in place yeah. for like the past hundred years. They just yeah. renew every 20 years and lo and behold, within the next probably five years, those contracts will be up or something. Yeah, they were finally brave enough to say it, put it in print, that they could do it. And, this, and it's going to be really interesting to see the war now that will start against the theater chains and the studios. All right, let's move on. Our next story is not about how uh, movies are shown in theaters. In the U.S., it's about how movies are shown in theaters overseas specifically in china but not limited to just china and um you may be aware in fact dear listener that a lot of movies are often changed for overseas audiences uh whether tech you could call it censorship but yeah like adjusted for cultural norms and practices or scenes are shot specifically for chinese audiences we had this big debate back when iron man 3 came out Yes. Or there's scenes specifically for Chinese audiences. Uh, we had this debate when the Red Dawn remake came out, when they changed the enemy from Chinese invading to North Korea invading. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, well, it turns out that some people are not fans of this practice. Um, the U.S. Defense Department specifically actually has helped in the past, since 1917 even, this practice happened to do this localization work. They worked on 800 films since 1917, including hits like Iron Man and The Terminator. So this is completely normal. This has constantly happened. But there are people who want to stop this. <laughs> because people have very, very strange ideas about uh, how things should happen. They're calling it the Script Act, the Stopping Censorship Restoring Integrity, Protecting Talkies Act. Um, Who wrote this and are they 100 years old? 
Um, this is someone grabbing a square peg in a round hole to make it absolutely say script because it's movie related. Right. And not just calling it like the film act. The act uh, will would if passed, which it won't be, uh, would block would block cooperation between the U.S. Defense Department and any film studios that edit or alter their movies for audiences in China. Studios benefit from access to military facilities and equipment, and from consultation with the Pentagon's experts. And like I mentioned, China isn't the only country that requires movie censorship. Countries like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait have also demanded concessions from Hollywood. Um, support is not guaranteed, though, as in the past, the Pentagon has decided against helping Marvel Studios um, in uh, making the Avengers, as an example, because officials didn't understand how S.H.I.E.L.D., the fictional organization, fit into the military chain of command. Um, so this bill being brought forth by, hey, guess who, Ted Cruz, would block the Pentagon from helping any studios that recently altered their movies to comply with Chinese demands and also would make studios promise not to censor their films before getting any Department of Defense help. This is stupid. Uh, This was actually brought on recently because Onward had to take out a scene referencing a gay couple to please Mm -hmm. Chinese audiences when it broadcast or when it sent its uh, films over there. And also because in a recent trailer with Top Gun Maverick, where the flag of, what was it, Taiwan, I believe, was seen. But then it was digitally altered to show a different country because China does not recognize Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, somehow they got the ear of Ted Cruz to write this bill, or at least someone under Ted Cruz to co-sign on this bill to bring it forward also calling it the talkies act <laughs> is um yeah you're, you're jamming the square peg in the round hole there so a couple of thoughts about this uh first of all i want to make it clear that i'm not saying that this practice should necessarily happen like from a moral standpoint like i get when people are like this is stupid why are we like saying like why are we cleaning it up, cleaning these movies up for these, these governments? It does kind of play into the, you know, the, the concept that the Chinese government is kind of covering things up that they don't want their, their uh, audiences to see. And yeah, that is dumb. And it's awful that the, the government is doing such like, like the, the thing you mentioned about Taiwan. Yeah. There are definitely issues with a government suppressing what they're, uh, uh, people are singing. I do understand that perspective. That being said, I don't think that it's a bad thing necessarily that movies made in Hollywood are getting localized for other cultures. That just makes sense. Uh, no, but I think this also plays into the Chinese regulation of Western culture and how they only allow 10 films into China yeah. a year. And that if you want to be one of those 10 films to get those sweet, sweet Chinese dollars, you have to play by their rules. Right. It's the whole thing is messed up. Like from the, from the top to the bottom, the whole organ, like the whole way we've been doing this business. Yeah. It's messed up. 
but it's the only like way that the game is played. And as we always say here at the Media Pro Podcast, your favorite catchphrase is it's a business. And right. And if there weren't a billion people in China to throw money, to have money thrown at you, it wouldn't matter. They wouldn't bother with it. But my problem, so my problem is not necessarily my beef here is not that I don't think that the practice has issues. Cause yes, I agree. Like it, there's a whole lot of issues just with how these governments are treating the media and how people absorb the media. Yes, I agree. Like, I think that the fact that we have free speech here is pretty neat and it's a good thing, generally speaking, that we can make stuff that challenges the perceptions uh, of our audiences and countries that don't have that. Yeah, I think are missing out to a certain extent. That being said, my beef here with this bill is I don't think we should also be eliminating the practice completely because I think that there is potentially good reasons for localizing a film. I think there are good practices in doing that. There are, there's value in that, in our government helping that process happen. And I do not think that the whole thing should be thrown out. So yeah, it's complicated. It's a complicated issue. It is, but this also does, I mean, should this act pass, would you see movie studios then move towards a privatization of military airspace, say, go to SpaceX or Boeing to use their (laughs) facilities? I don't know if that's going to have the same results of what they want. I don't know. Potentially. I don't know. It depends on what they want and it depends on the movie. I mean, it does. I mean, this is because it's not saying directly that the DOD has to be involved or should not be involved in anything. It's DOD with the movie studio company itself. Yeah. But hey, we'll see if this even gets passed. Yeah, who knows if there's enough people who even care about this as an issue. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely not an issue right now that needs to be brought up and... (laughs) no. Does not strike priority, no. No. But hey, it's still there. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing that's out there. You know what else is a thing that's out there? TV. TV. Because I was going to say if you've watched any movies, but you probably haven't. Uh, No. Uh, I know I said I was going to check out some South by Southwest films. Well, just like regular South by Southwest. Didn't care enough to actually watch any of the films. <laughs> Fair enough. And I know I said I was going to watch that Beastie Boys doc on Apple TV+. Plus. I did not have time to do so because my weekend was taken over by going attending a um, virtual book festival. <laughs> like reading Rainbow Style? Uh, no, more like they got panel virtual panels with authors who talked about their books. Okay, well, we can get to your thoughts on that in our book section. <laughs> Which we don't have. <laughs> Not yet, at least. I actually have some thoughts about the future of our show that we can maybe talk about post-pod. Yes, don't hate on reading. Um, the chat has finished three books, possibly four, wow. on her own. On well her done. Own. Yes, reading for fun. Uh, it's the joys of <laughs> happening. It's All right. happening. Let's move on. Um, television. 
We always start television with sports. All right. What's happening in the world of sports? All right. Well, the NFL draft happened from a virtual place this past week. And Mr. Joe Burrows was your overall number one pick, and he goes to the Bengals. And he gets nicknamed by the internet the Tiger King. Tiger King himself. Uh, Packers picked. The Packers picked quarterback Jordan Love in the first round. This is notable because the last time the Packers picked a quarterback in the first round, it was for Aaron Rodgers. Hey, what do you know? Also, Aaron Rodgers is currently the same age that Brett Favre was when they drafted a quarterback in the first round. Wow. History repeats, repeats, repeats. Also Uh, note that the Packers head coach is new this year. uh Uh-huh. So... The Herald Packers organization is all sides point to trending in a new direction. Yes. So people are showing love for Jordan Love. Mm. And then um, Mike McCarthy. Mike, not before, was last year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but he didn't do any of the picks last year. Yeah, Matt Floor didn't have any of his picks. So this is Matt Floor making an actual pick in his first pick ever is a quarterback. Fact. Drama. That wasn't the only drama, though, of the NFL draft. Uh, yeah, so you have... You don't have a first name here, or maybe you don't have a last name. I'm not sure. But the person you have going to the Dolphins here has a name that sort of looks like Tuna. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Tua went to the Dolphins. Tua Tangalavoya. Whoa. That's why I did put the name down. Okay. Uh, the quarterback for Alabama. Or I guess formerly the quarterback of Alabama. Got it. Yeah. And overall, 16 players from the SEC uh, were drafted in the first round. That is a record. Also a record. Um, the commissioner, Roger Goodell, getting pretty sloshed during the draft. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you gotta keep yourself that uh, occupied somehow. Uh, it wasn't so much during the uh, day one, the first round. It was during day two, the second and third round. Where after the second round, he was like, "Okay, I'm not going to stand anymore. I'm going to um, sit in my lounger lounge Barker chair." <laughs> and basically, he was reading the picks from there. And at one point during the Patriots pick, he just sits in his like leans all the way back in his chair. Crotch is clearly out, leg up, and he's reading an upside-down card. <laughs> and there's like a whiskey glass right next to him, too. He's like, all right, let's get this pick over with. Let me, whose weird name am I saying now? That's great. <laughs> also, there's like 10 Shaquilles in the league now. Uh-huh. I'd like to point that out. An army of Shaqs. Yes, because, um, you know, how Shaq was very big about 20 years ago. Uh-huh. Hey! All those Shaq babies finally grew up. Shaq babies. And are playing football instead of basketball. Yeah. But yeah, there's like 10 Shaquilles in the league. (laughs) Gotta love all those Shaqs. All right. Well, meanwhile, in fake football, some more drama happened. You mean deceased football. What? It is deceased football. Yes, deceased fake football. Uh, we have uh, more drama in the XFL. As former XFL commissioner Oliver Luck 
has sued Vince McMahon over what he deems as wrongful termination as he had a five-year, $20 million deal in place. Uh, yeah, um, since the, NF- the XFL filed for bankruptcy and is looking to dissolve, um, the commissioner of the league, who had a contract in place, wants to get paid. Um, and yeah, you wouldn't want to pass up $20 million either. <laughs> no, but you're not going to get it. There's no money. Uh, Vince McMahon has money. That's true. And that's why he's trying to get it. Yep, that's where he's trying to get it from. Well, we'll see. Um, but first of all, why sign a five-year deal for the XFL? That's what I'm. The, that's the first thought that came to my mind. Well, because you're the commissioner, so you're like, I'm the head guy. I'm going to make this work. And he did and make yet, it work. And yet he didn't see foresee a global pandemic shutting the whole thing down. Right, and it'd be interesting to see if that's in his clause contract. Yeah, is that an act of God? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, seeing as it initially went to delayed, and then it ended, and the season and the XFL season was never officially ended, that it foreclosed basically, or went bankrupt. Like they declared bankruptcy. Interesting to see, like, well, that was not on his fault, so he should still be paid. Yeah, I don't know how that works. What I do know... Anyway, since the XFL takes... Or since Vince McMahon and the WWE basically take place in Florida, hey, (laughs) they saw the WWE sports to work there. Yeah, and speaking of things taking place in Florida, which I'm pretty sure you gave me on purpose as a segue here, yeah, ride that segue. <laughs> I will slowly ride the segue over to the UFC, which, as we've mentioned in a previous podcast, had delayed UFC 249, their next fight. Well, until now, they have announced a new date, which, um, spoiler alert, I think will also get delayed. <laughs> um, they now have a date of May 9th and a location. In Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, May 9th is in two weeks. Uh, this will be a pay-per-view event, assuming it still goes on, and assuming the state of Florida still allows sports to take place without an audience. And this is probably Dana White's last straw until he gets what he wants, his fighting island. <laughs> Fight island? Yeah, it's Fightland, you could say. <laughs> But until then, Jacksonville's the closest he's got. The UFCI. Yep. I don't think I don't think this will happen. I think that there'll be enough outcry over fans, uh, fans of the UFC, about the safety of the fighters that I don't think even the power of the idiots in Florida who will want this to happen there. I don't think that will be enough. I think ultimately they're going to have to pull this one too. Yes, but even the idiots in Florida are still allowing. WWE to continue on a weekly basis. Yeah, so I still don't think that's going to be enough. I think that, that, that there is enough, I think, it's very intelligent fans of the UFC as an organization that I don't think that they're going to have this. Yeah, but it's considered an essential business. I don't think that's going to be enough. 
Okay, well, what about NASCAR also being considered an essential business? <laughs> I mean, they figured that out with the iRacing stuff. Uh, no, well, they did, but they're also yeah. looking to bring the drivers back to only race in North Carolina, I think. Jeez. Oh, I'm like two of their tracks for like a weekly races. Well, I hadn't heard the, that. Uh, chat has more information on this. Okay. So basically, um, starting on Sunday, May 17th, uh, NASCAR will be back. Obviously, no fans. It'll just be like the drivers and the crews. Um, but they will begin in Darlington, and then they'll go through, I believe, Charlotte Motor Speedway for the first week or two. And then they're hoping that things improve or open up more from there to get back to their other schedule. Obviously, there won't be fans, but it's it's NASCAR's time to be the exciting thing to watch. <laughs> and there's social distancing in the cars anyways, and all the crews and gear, crew chiefs and people working on the cars are all covered head to toe anyways. I guess, but still, I don't know if it's super safe. But like, yeah, but NASCAR and safe are never two words that go together anyways. <laughs> you have a point. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll keep our eyes peeled and we'll, we'll see, uh, see what uh, happens on May 17th. See That's what it. happens. Exactly. Isn't that Mother's Day? Uh, I think it's that weekend, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, say hi to your mother for me. Yes, yeah, say hi to your mother for me. All right. Anything else in sports that we have not covered? Uh, nope. On. No, I think we're good to move on. All right. Let's talk about some uh, television news before we talk about sports again when we talk about t- uh, television we've watched. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. Uh, May 10th. May 10th is uh, Mother's Day. All right. Good to know. All right. Let's move into television news. Our first story is an exciting one, which I'm excited for. Um, hey. Do you like Parks and Rec? Yes, I've watched it through about five times now, maybe six. Well, what if I told you that there's a new episode airing this week? What do you mean? It's been off the air for like three years now. Well, guess what? The cast of Parks and Recreation is rejoining forces to raise money to aid those impacted by the coronavirus in a special Thursday night airing that will feature the entire main cast. All 10 main cast members will return in character, as well as several other favorites appearing as special guests. The 30-minute special story will center on the challenging times facing citizens of the globe right now. The special will raise funds for Feeding America's COVID-19 response funds, which NBC Universal, State Farm, Subaru, and the cast, writers, and producers of Parks and Rec will donate $500,000. In front of the episode will be a special presentation of Parks and Rec at the Paley Fest uh, from last year. Yay! Parks and Rec returns. That's pretty cool. I'm glad. Uh, Yeah, I saw that um, the people that wrote the script for this are an all-star list of people who both were um, prominent writers when the show originally aired and people who have recently uh, been hotshot writers on other... um, uh, NBC shows such as uh, Megan Amram, who wrote for uh, The Good Place. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I, as soon as I saw this, I immediately stole the remote and hit record on them. Oh, yeah. This is going to be, I hope, a really great night 
reminding everybody of how good of a show that was. And yeah, it'll be a nice like breath of fresh air because there hasn't been like a whole lot of live programming that I've been wanting to watch in this era of of the celebrities sing at you for an hour (laughs) era of television. Yeah, but I think this will also be a backdoor shoehorn uh, type of event to let people know about Peacock mm-hmm. coming in July because yeah. the ad that they ran on TV or at least I saw on the internet at least uh, the bumper at the end mentioned Peacock coming in July. Yeah. I mean, it's smart. It's a smart Trojan horse. It's like, hey, remember this show? Well, guess what? You can watch it all on Peacock. And guess what? Here's a brand new episode we know you're going to watch because one, it's brand new and two, yeah. you all love the show and three, we're just going to spam you with ads that this thing is coming and will be exclusive to our streaming network. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty cool. And uh, of course, we'll watch this. So we'll have uh, um, our take on it next week. Uh, yes, we will. All right. Moving on to our second story. This is a follow-up to a story that we thought we were done following up on. <laughs> Uh, this is a story that never had a solution, right? But it's something that we will always keep our eyes on. So, the WGA versus the talent agencies. We had covered their uh, back and forth over the course of last year, um, and after more than three months, after all of this has gone by, a Los Angeles federal judge has dismissed virtually all of the WGA's claims against the three largest talent agencies leaving the union with only a state antitrust claim. The hardest-hitting claims for federal price-fixing and racketeering were dismissed with prejudice, and it cannot be refiled. Most of the dismissals were based on the claims being made for individuals, but not representative of the guild. The big dismissal came in the judge's ruling that packaging fees amounted to bribes, kickbacks, or racketeering activity. The remaining six claims will move forward into court proceedings where discovery will bring these dealings to the front of the case. Yeah, I mean, these are written out contracts, so naturally they're not going to look like briberies or under-the-table dealings. The WGA hopes that with with all this discovery coming out, that one, the WGA will have all this evidence against them. And two, it will force the talent agencies to show all of their dealings and all of their emails that basically led to these contracts being created. And that's where uh, the writer, the writer's guild hopes that through, through discovery, all this will be put out into the open as this is currently an open air case. Nothing is sealed behind closed doors in, like, in arbitration or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to add here because I, I was kind of like lost in the legalese of this paragraph. But yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Uh, basically, outside of legalese, this thing's going to court. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Here, here's where you hire your prosecutors or your defendants, attorneys. Yeah. Damn good job. Yeah. All right. That's it for television news. All right. I understand. We have some thoughts. No, we have thoughts on TV. So you finished uh, a show that's actually been done for a couple weeks now. 
Now, yeah, I meant to talk about it last week, but I forgot to add it. Yeah, we just forgot to talk about it uh, when it ended. But yes, Lego Masters, the reality program uh, where people done built those Legos, is over. We have a winner. Uh, winners, I guess. Um, and yeah, we've seen a complete season of that thing. What did you think about how it all wrapped up? Damn, those people are sure creative. Oh, yeah. Holy hell. <laughs> I'm like, oh, like you'll just create something. It's like, oh, no, there's like no blueprint. It's just from their mind. They're just basically making stuff from Legos. And wow. Yeah, it's impressive. It is very impressive. Uh, that being said, this is uh, towards the end of the season. It definitely felt like the producers had a stranglehold on the contestants <laughs> and driving the narrative and once they introduced the whole baby arc thing, I was like, oh, well, clearly they're going to win. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it made sense that what happened happened. But yeah, I think you're right. I think you, the artifice of being a reality show kind of showed up towards the end. The fact that they were like, oh, well, we can't eliminate the 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 the, the uh, team that has had the most drama over the course because they've grown the most. So let's arbitrarily decide at the end of this show that there's going to be three teams in the finals instead of two. Right, and we have to keep the uh, the wedding duo in because hey, they're having a baby, and wouldn't right. it be great if the newlywed couple won a hundred thousand dollars? To help I mean, start their children, their a, family? To a certain extent, yes. I see the, where you're coming from with that. But also, they were the best. I don't know. That brother duo was pretty good. They were... Uh, I think that... They had a more creative flair to I their think, builds. Yes, but... Well, one, they're not actually... They weren't brothers. Oh, well, they definitely look like it. <laughs> Two. Uh, no, they were just good friends. Um, huh. But... Um, yeah, like I think they were good, but they did mess up more than the couple did, and I think that that the couple had like zero bad weeks. <laughs> mm, I mean, you're right. They were extremely consistent. They were the best. I'm glad that they won because they were the best. But I see what you're coming from. They were also made really great television. And the producers realized that. I think it should have been them and the, the two burly men in the finals. And yeah, it was nice that they included most improved, um, but you really <laughs> should have just given them little ribbons and let them go home. But, yeah, see, what I thought they were going to do was the classic, oh, everyone's coming back and you have to work with all the other people. Yeah. I thought so too. I thought that was the angle, but then it ended up being their families. That was the reveal. And I was like, yes. oh, the other thing, sure. Oh, it's the other thing where where they yeah. usually do it in the penultimate. Yeah. Um, ultimately, would you want a, another season of this? Do you think we're going to get another season of this? What do you think? I think there's enough creative people out there to get people to sign up for a second season. Uh -huh. I'm not sure if there's enough people out there who will watch a second season. Um. Okay. I mean... I think I do. I would be interested in seeing a second season of this. I think 
Well, I mean, even from the top, like even from when we first started talking about this show, it is fascinating to me that they pitched and sold and shot a reality show that plays around with so many of the concepts and artifice of being a reality show. Mm-hmm. Like throughout this whole thing, I don't know how much of this is Will Arnett, but it even went beyond Will Arnett's hosting. Even the way they shot the thing, which is like, oh, we're going to shoot this where you think that we know, we think that, like, you think that we don't know that it's not, like, being recorded, but we know it's being recorded. Like, a little behind-the-scenes kind of peeking. And they yeah, come well, back. It is a reality competition style, and they give them hours of, uh, to build these things. Yeah. But it was, it's, it was interesting to me how the whole thing, the whole presentation of this show was like, we know we're a reality show, we're going to constantly reference it, we're going to, like, never pretend that we think that this is not a television program. Mm-hmm. And that's, fa- like, that was really interesting because you don't see that in reality shows. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting watch. I mean, I would definitely watch a second season. It's, were, were there enough Nielsen ratings to warrant a second season? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they saw... Maybe they saw a bit of an uptick with everybody being home. Who knows? But also realize that this is very cheap to make. The Legos they have all already. They already have the production studio filled out. And it's very much spatially aware. And you saw how cheap this show was. The budget was probably non-existent. Because there was that one episode where they built the bridges and they didn't even like they didn't even account for needing more than like a thousand like or however many pounds of weights. Yeah, and so they made it like a big deal about like oh we had to go get like stuff from the crew from backstage in order to finish this. Right, the extra sandbags. It was it was just like a moment like that was like wait they didn't give them a, a, any budget for this show. No, but like. Seeing as like a mult, a lot of it is already been spent building up the studio and getting all those Legos together, that it's already there. It's already established costs. So making a second season could even yeah. be cheaper than that. No, I'll, I'll, yeah, I think it will come back. I think, I think it did well enough. But um, yeah, I was just curious to see whether or not you thought. But like you would watch another season of that. Yeah, I'd watch a sec- another season. But you know, also from a, a business standpoint, it has all everything set to warrant a second season, especially in the conditions that we're all in right now. Yeah, we will see. Okay, uh, that's not the only show you finished, though. Um, was there a season finale for Brooklyn Nine Nine? Because I kind of dropped off. I watched the, most of the season, but I haven't watched the last handful. Uh, I believe we were at the season finale for Brooklyn Nine-Nine because that's why they're doing the um, the Parks and Rec special this week. Oh, okay. Well, um, so I'm guessing it didn't really feel like a season finale then? No, it didn't feel like a season finale. Uh, it still tries to do the Halloween heist, oh, okay. even though the show is not on during Halloween. Yeah. So this is its second year doing that, where it's like, oh, we're going to play with it being an actual Halloween heist, but then move it forward and forward so it's actually like in season of when they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But overall, they're moving the characters forward. They're entering the whole baby arc now. Yeah. Baby arc. Do, 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 baby <laughs> arc do, do, do. No. no. Uh, they're entering the, that whole arc. Um, but uh, the season didn't end with a, like, to be continued like they normally do with a big season finale. Right. Where it's like, oh, we're of a big change, and then we're going to pick this up next time when the season comes back. It was missing that, but overall, the season just felt very monotone. That A lot of these episodes felt like they had gone in any other season. Yeah. Very procedural, but then again, that is what they play into, it being a procedural cop show. I think my favorite thing from this season in the episodes I did watch was the Vanessa Bayer character that they had an arc about for the first half. Yeah, the the new cop who then went away real quick. <laughs> that stuff was fun. I felt like they were having a lot of fun writing that character. Mm-hmm. But like as soon as she disappeared, you're right. It was like when when it started focusing more on the usual, like the usual kind of vibe for the show. I was like, all right, okay, this is. They're coasting at this point. It definitely like, feels yeah. like they're coasting. I mean, remember when the whole, I remember when the, we had the conversation we had when we found out that it was canceled by Fox. And like, this is kind of what I was saying at that time too, which is like, you know what? Like, it's fine. Like it ran its course. Well, cause when they were canceled at Fox, the final episode was the wedding episode. Like, oh, okay. They finally did the whole, will they, won't they? Yeah. It's kind of like entering its twilight years now. But even beyond that, like, I was just like, you know, they could do more of this because it's such a consistent show. But I was just like, you know what? It's, if they do, it's just going to coast. Like, because they don't have much else to say with it. And sure enough, that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still funny TV. It's consistent. Yeah. It's consistently good. It's consistently but not, good. But not to, like, the point where it originally was. Where it was yeah. like, oh, you got to watch it. It's the new hot thing. Yeah, no. Because it's no longer the new hot thing. It's, oh, that's just Brooklyn Nine-Nine now. And because of how long it's lasted, everybody's just going to be think of of it as this very consistent comedy. And it's not going to be about the highs as much as, like, Parks and Rec and 30 Rock. You know, when you talk about them, there's specific episodes that you're like, yeah, like, this is the peak of this. Uh, I can't really think the same thing of Brooklyn Nine-Nine like it all kind of melds together because they kind of do the same plots over and over again mm-hmm. so yeah it's harder it's harder it's the d- diminishing play. returns yeah diminishing returns but yeah it's, it's also it's I think it's going to be interesting show to look back on when it is over because it's going to be like well yeah that was funny but like it'll be no one's favorite right yeah but we'll see we'll see did you watch anything yeah, I just want to briefly say that I caught up on uh, The Last Dance. Oh, okay. So you up did until, watch all four episodes? Yeah, I, uh, up until this week. So yeah, I'm, I'm all, all caught up. And man, I, uh, I'm i loving it just like I thought I would. Uh, apparently the whole internet is loving this. Oh, it's fascinating. Like, So my perspective is interesting too, because as you probably know about me, I know nothing about any of this. I oh, don't yes, know... I'm- Like, I don't know the real backstories of these people. I know, of course, who these people are because I've heard their names over and over again. But I don't know their stories. So so outside of Michael... Michael Jackson? Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. 
Yeah, for the most part, like I knew, I've obviously I know Michael Jordan from a cultural standpoint. Who doesn't? Like right. I've seen Space Jam. I lived through the '90s. Like I know who Michael Jordan is. I know he's important. I know the Bulls were a force to be reckoned with in the '90s. I realize all of that because I lived it. But when you get into the nitty gritty of it, like the actual who these people were, their personalities, the drama, the game to game drama of this, and especially the stuff in the 80s seasons, that all stuff is new to me. So I am living this as if I am living it in real life. And I'm sure a lot of people are uh, watching this that don't have the background in sports. Yeah, a lot of people are watching this either with fresh eyes because they didn't live it or it's been 20 years since it happened. So everyone has this 2020 hindsight perspective like oh was it really as good as when i watched it or am i had just have the rose colored glasses because they were the best when i watched them yeah so that's i think the cool then the coolest part for me is i legitimately don't know what happens next don't tell me if they win the 1998 championship i don't know (laughs) i mean i have an idea i think i and i may have seen a screenshot somewhere that that spoiled it for me. And yes, I realize that it's history and you cannot be spoiled of history. I think there is an actual like timestamp of when telling you who won the 1998 championship is considered a spoiler. <laughs> but yeah, like I just I believe that expiration date has run at its course by now. Yeah. I just think it's hilarious that I don't know and I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to be spoiled by this thing that happened 20 years ago. But yeah. All right. I won't spoil it. I don't know what happens. I think I know what happens, but I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see how it it all goes on. I like that they're doing two episodes per week because it's giving me like two hours of stuff to watch, which is great. And yeah, it's giving me an insight into these people that I didn't know before. Like I didn't know a whole lot about Scottie Pippen at all. Yeah, this is going to be real interesting at the end of it when I get your take on it. Yeah, I, I want to get there. Like, I want to get, I want to see the rest of this. It's really, really interesting. It's still not making me like basketball, though. I thought that that's, like, oh, I was thinking when I started this, I was like, is this going to be the thing that makes me understand basketball? No. In fact, it's making me like it less, in a way. Well, because unlike with MLB The Show, you're not physically involved with it. You don't need to know the nitty-gritty of what you're doing to understand it. It's not even so much that, like, the interactive part, because I've played basketball video games before, and they just don't work with me. Um, I think it's just the sport is just less interesting to me. And I think, yeah, like, getting into, like, the, the, the way that it's coached, too, like these last couple episodes did, made it even less interesting to me. Because the fact that there are some coaches that are so star focused where they're like, Oh, how we win is going to be by keeping the ball in our stars hands. That's just like the least interesting thing I've ever heard about a sport. Like I don't tell me that. Don't tell me that like, Oh, they figured out like, Oh, if one person's really good, they can carry a whole team. That makes me mad. Like, <laughs> Let your playmaker make the plays. Cause it just, that just depresses me. Cause then it's like, why even bother like with this as a team sport? Like, just show me a game of one-on-one if that's how you want this game to be played. I think it's a little more interesting when you do have that pivot where they're talking about, oh, yeah, Phil Jackson, like, this dude from the 60s who was like, 
I think the triangle offense is most important and we're going to do the triangle offense. And like, that stuff's cool, but still it's not interesting enough to get me like interested in the game, the mechanics of the game of basketball, like the revelation I had with pitching was with baseball. Right. But you understand that that's why someone awesome never won a championship, right? Yeah. I I understand that. Okay. it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, I just think nuts and bolts as a game, basketball is just in the same category with soccer and hockey to me, where I get why people are entertained watching this, and I get why it's fun because there's constantly something happening. But it's just not interesting enough on a strategic level for me to get really involved. Okay, you'll get there. There's still, what, six episodes left? Yeah, we'll see see how I feel at the end of this. But no, I don't foresee myself getting way into the Lakers at the end of this. (laughs) Or the Clippers, I don't know. Whoever the hot team is when we get on the other side of this pandemic. Uh, Let's see, LeBron's on the Lakers. Yeah, I felt like the Lakers. So it'd be the Bucks with the Greek freak, Giannis Akutadekempo. Yes. Yes, and you'll officially say his name correctly. We'll see. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So, yeah, we'll talk about that more as the weeks continue on that. Yeah, when that officially wraps up. I'm also watching an anime uh, from 1997, so that doesn't really qualify for conversation here. And, yes, you probably just made a face about me saying that I'm watching an anime. No, I made the thought of, oh, I bet it's Dragon Ball Z. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about cancellations and renewals. All right. What am I no longer watching? All right. Well, HBO is bringing back Westworld for another season, specifically a fourth season. Uh, Hallmark Channel is bringing back something called Wind Calls the Heart for an eighth season. It said eight season. I thought that was pretty remarkable. <laughs> I just don't know what that is. <laughs> um, Netflix has canceled Turn Up Charlie after one season. Uh, that was an Idris Elba show. So more like Turn Down Charlie, am I right? Or Turn Up for what? Turn Up for, for nothing, apparently. Netflix has renewed something called Queen Sono for a second season. That sounds like an anime. <laughs> I believe that has nothing to do with the Sono soundbar. No, <laughs> that's Sonos. <I> mean, <laughs> um, next, we go into deaths. We have a couple deaths this week. First up, Harold Reed, age 80, a singer-songwriter, a member of the Statler Brothers, and a Grammy winner in 1965 and 1972. Uh, double Grammy winner in 1965. You won twice. Ah. Well, then we also have Irfan Khan, age 53, an actor. Um, was in Slumdog Millionaire and Life of Pi. Yep, uh, he was a really big Bollywood actor that who made sense. the transition to uh, Hollywood. Makes sense. All right, that's it for death. So we move now into music, and I toss it over to you to talk about Billboard charts. All right, well, we always start music with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100. Give me the, the top five, Casey Kasem. All right. Your number one. Can you do a Casey Kasem impression? Your number one song this week. That's an awful Casey Kasem. I know it is. 
All right. Give it a And I'm neither. (laughs) (laughs) I am my own man. Uh, Your number one song, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd, yet again. Yeah. Number two, Toozy Slide by Drake. Uh Number three, The Box by Roddy Rich. Uh Number four, Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa. Uh And number five, Say So by Doja Cat. Did you have Deja Vu? Any of that sounds familiar. Yeah, did you have Deja Vu? Nothing changed on that. Nothing changed in the top five. Well, let's get to the Billboard 200 then, your albums chart. Something did change here. Uh, number one, Blame It On Baby by The Baby. <laughs> yep. Uh, number two, After Hours by The Weeknd. Number three, Eternal A Take by Lil Uzi Vert. Number four, Fetch the Bolt Cutters by Fiona Apple. Mm-hmm. And number five, My Turn by Little baby. So count them. Two babies this week. Yep. I believe there were two babies last week. Two babies charted. Yep. Also, uh, congratulations, uh, Fiona Apple, for charting. Um, yep. If you're curious, um, Fiona Apple's number one if you're talking purely um, uh, physical sales this week. Okay. Is this also the Fiona Apple album that got like a perfect score? Yes, this is the infamous, now infamous uh, Pitchfork 10. Uh, the first 10 that they've given on that website since uh, Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in 2010. Okay, have you listened to this album? I have. It is very good. I didn't oh. talk about it last week because I thought it was a little too niche for our audience, but um, I stand corrected. <laughs> it is apparently too, not too niche for the entire world. Has It uh, is yeah, number four. It's uh, a tour de force. I think it's excellent. Um, if you are, if you've kind of dropped off Fiona Apple since, of course, the '90s when she was a one-hit wonder at the time with Criminal, you've missed an entire career's worth of music as she never stopped. Um, and yeah, this uh, newest album it is a cacophony of found sounds. She like uses percussion on all sorts of things found around the house. Um, she was already isolated, apparently, recording this record way before we all were, thanks to quarantine. So before it was cool. Yeah, pretty much. And so she used that energy, that kind of cooped up energy to create this, like, interesting kind of collage. And, uh, there's a lot of piano here, there's a lot of harp, there's a lot of, um, a lot of balladry here. It's very singer-songwriter kind of style, if you're unfamiliar with how she sounds, there are some songs that are specifically uh, tap into the Me Too movement about her own experiences and sharing her own assault, uh, assault experiences with other women. And it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely something to uh, listen to. Um, and it definitely captures a mood uh, that I think really resonates with being trapped inside as we all are right now. Hey, what a coincidence. It's excellent, uh, but yeah, it's definitely not for everybody, but it's, I think it's really good. All right, well, if you don't want to listen to that, we have new releases. All right, what am I listening to this week? Probably Fiona Apple, but here are your new releases. <laughs> we have Making a Door Less Open by Car Seat Headrest. 
Uh-huh. I believe that makes it a jar. <laughs> when it's a jar, yes, when the door is less open, it does become a jar. You're right. Yes. Uh, we also have Do You Wonder About Me by Diet Sig. It's it's just diet. It's diet Sig. I'm calling it Diet Sig. I, I will be listening to that. Okay. You're listening to a Diet Sig? Yes. All right. We also have Here Now by Kenny Chesney. And lastly, Dream Hunting in the Valley of the In-Between by Man Man. <laughs> yes. That's two yeah. mans. I'll Double probably man. listen, I'll listen to the Diet Sig record and I will probably listen to the Car Seat Headdress record. I've listened to their music before and it's fine. I don't know. We'll see. I might actually find listen to that Fiona Apple. Okay. Since it did get the 100 and you speak so highly about it. I am interested to see what you think about it. <laughs> I am interested about it too. <laughs> I just have to remember to actually like listen to it. And you'll listen to the Kenny Chesney, I'm guessing? Probably, yeah. Okay. Like, I'll probably just like, won't play that just for me, but for like everybody, because it's yeah. Kenny Chesney. It's your, it's your job as country correspondent. Yes, it's my job to understand the newest Kenny Chesney album, seeing yes. as I'm still technically considered going to a concert, maybe. <laughs> Maybe we'll as see. Now, knows <laughs> probably uh, not. A, a whole stadium needs to be finished being built for that to happen. Hey, <laughs> that's a great segue into our first story about music. Oh yes, it is because our first story is about Live Nation. You mentioned some of this last week, but I want, uh, but I found this story to basically like get everything official from the word of the CEO. Yes, from the word of the chairman slash CEO yes. Michael Rapino. Well, he has fought to restore confidence in both the company and the industry at large. And he circulated a memo to the staff late Monday clarifying its policies and practices in significant detail. We should mention we're talking about Live Nation here. Yes. Um, he notes that Live Nation has already refunded more than $80 million to ticket holders and to Ticketmaster some $400 million. And noted that regarding Ticketmaster refunds, quote, it is important to remind everyone that Ticketmaster is a platform and does not hold on to money from client sales. In order to issue refunds, Ticketmaster must first get approval and funds from our clients. These event organizers of concerts, festivals, games, or events set the policy on refunds and Ticketmaster facilitates services accordingly. This is definitely a more official word than what we reported on last week, yeah. which was well, it was up to the event itself to issue up or set up any refunds. So if you're going to, if you want to be cynical about this, you could read this as a giant passing of the buck, but he's not wrong. Ticketmaster is just a platform and live nation. Like really all they do is they, yeah, like all Ticketmaster is doing is basically like providing a ticket sales platform for these, their client, essentially. That being said, um, if did you see the actual uh, text of this memo? No, I did not. So what he does here is he actually went and, bra- and breaks down with statistics where all of this information is coming from. And there's even a, por- a portion where they're talking about their uh, individual services that they run, like Ticketmaster. And like they'll all like there's some graphs and like 
stuff that says like these guys are issuing refunds these guys are not issuing refunds and like breaks it down like individually like that they, they also broke down the sports ticket sales uh percentage percentages of which of the stadiums are doing they don't break down stadium by stadium but like percentage wise of which stadiums are doing refunds right now and the example that i found was for baseball stadiums, only 66% of franchises are doing refunds right now. So two-thirds. Yeah. So, like, um, it's going to vary. Your ability to get refunds for Ticketmaster is going to vary wildly depending on where you got it. Your mileage may vary. Exactly. So I would recommend uh, for anybody who is uh, holding on to a ticket purchased through Ticketmaster for any event uh, to check in with the place that the event is being held and ask them because Ticketmaster is basically saying here and Live Nation is basically saying here is that who has the power in this situation right currently 66% of MLB teams 70% of NBA teams Mm -hmm. and half of the NHL teams right Uh, seeing as they were the ones who are currently in season being affected by this right um, concerts are currently 100% of Live Nation and AEG shows and about half of all other shows. So, yeah. Um, so, for my situation, I'm probably going to just say to the person who purchased my tickets, like, hey, try to get a refund. Yeah, it'll be interesting for me because I went to the stadium and got physical tickets. Right. So, I don't know how that works. Yeah. You'd probably just have to call up customer service and be like, hey, what do I do? Well, probably because like I have physical tickets, so I can say, hey, here's the tickets. Here's the receipt I bought the tickets on. Yeah. Do you think there's somebody working there still? Do you think there's just somebody hanging out because like on a phone in Angel Stadium? If it's anything like most companies, then it'll be a not directly someone in stadium, but rather somebody like connected via dial in. So you have to call. No, I, I realized that. That was that was that was mostly a joke. <laughs> yeah, but I'll still like go in person to see if I can bang down a door or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. All right, let's move on. All right, let's move on to our second story. Amoeba music. This is a local story, uh, seeing as we're both located. It, in you can California. say it's local, however. But it's kind of a big deal for people who love uh, classic brick-and-mortar record stores. Yeah, but, you know, this Amoeba Music record store is very iconic, much like yes. the Towers record store was. It is iconic. Yeah, um, well... Amid a fund drive aimed at weathering rough months of closure ahead, Amoeba Music has made a tough call. The beloved store's current location in Hollywood will not reopen to the public, regardless of when California decides to give non-essential retail the go-ahead again. Instead, the owner plans to steer all finances and energy into a long-planned move into a different space this fall 
uh, having decided that costs involved in briefly opening this, the familiar Sunset Boulevard building for a public send-off would greatly outweigh the sentimental value. Amoeba co-founder Mark Weinstein tells Variety, quote, we have arrived at the very careful considered conclusion that this is our best chance for survival, given that we would obviously be looking at a very slow process of getting customers to come back to Sunset, leaving us to pack up and move amid all those additional losses and a bleak summer in general. Now, I have an interesting question here okay. that I want to pose to you. Okay. How long has the Amoeba record store been around and can it qualify as a, a historic landmark? I don't know the answer to that question. I can Google it real quick. All right. Well, my question is that if the Amoeba record store or Amoeba music being as iconic as it is, has been around enough and is indeed old enough to be considered a historic building, can they just turn it then not into a record store, but instead to a music museum? Because I think that you could easily retrofit it to fit that, something like that, and then have an, a well-established place be turned into an iconic location for people who still love music and music lovers to gather. And that way something like this doesn't have to just basically vanish overnight. <laughs> well, um, got bad news for you. <laughs> Okay. It does not qualify because believe it or not, even though it seems like it's been there forever, it's only been there for 19 years. It's only been there since 2000? November 17th, 2001 was hmm. the Sunset Boulevard's opening. Is there another record store that I'm thinking of? There are three Amoebas. Okay. The Berkeley uh, location it goes back to 1990. The San Francisco store opened in 97. The Sunset Boulevard was the third in 2001. Okay, so yeah, 19 years does not qualify. I think, for no, the so that's a good idea in theory, but now you can see like that makes sense that like there's no option here. Right. No, that that really that. limits your options then. Yep. Uh, all right. So I can't wait for CVS, Walmart, Staples to occupy that space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be a CVS. Just watch. Uh, I know, especially that place being like built up all around it. It's a convenience store area now. There's a fast food place across the street. I know that because I parked there once and walked across the street to me. <laughs> it's Jack in the Box. I might be wrong. All right, so maybe it's not as iconic as you probably think then. No, I mean, it is, especially if you are a Los Angeles resident, but it's more recent than I think people think it is. Well, I don't know. I guess like I'm thinking more of like the Tower Records might have been more iconic then. Oh, for sure. But if that wasn't able to get it, then yeah. Oh, well, that was just a, a fleeting thought that passed through as I was reading this. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so let's move into thoughts. Yeah. So you listened to a record or uh, some music this week. I listened to some music. Oh, right. I listened, as I mentioned last week, I would listen to AWOL Nations 
Angel Miners and Lightning Riders. All right, despite the fun rhyming title, this does not sound like a fun assignment. It was not. Um, this is definitely <laughs> an AWOL Nation-ass sounding AWOL Nation album. Is there any never hit the highs of any of the songs that I had uh, from their previous records that are currently on my playlist. Yeah, I was going to say, anything is anything that replicates the insanity that is Sale? Uh, not really. That's but them, right? yeah, all of the songs like definitely had that AWOL Nation sound. <laughs> just It just never hit those highs for me. No never songs that, that are going like, to be... Oh, yeah, this is a song I'm going to want on my playlist. And I think that's... Yeah, that's just what happens. Uh, yeah, like, like we said with um, Brooklyn Nine Nine, diminishing returns. <laughs> um, I was not expecting a whole lot to come from this, and yet, yeah, I still wasn't blown away. Better or worse than the most recent Imagine Dragons record? <laughs> um, at least Imagine Dragons knows how to put out a hit. <laughs> So I don't know. Take take with that what you will. <laughs> so the, this is there's no sale to. No, there's no sale to the the reckoning. Yeah, no sale again. <laughs> there's no uh, sold sale no. sale sold. It's not sailed. Sailed. All right. Well, All in right. that case. Let's talk about video games. In that case, let's move on to video games. Uh, we have new releases for video games. We do. Yes. We have Streets of Rage 4 for the PlayStation, Switch, and PC. Yeah. Someday, you'll return for the PC. Yeah. And Call of Duty colon, Modern Warfare 2 campaign remastered for the PlayStation and Xbox. <laughs> yeah. Let, let us be clear. This is not a new game. This is not a sequel to last year's Modern Warfare. This is a remaster of 2009's Modern Warfare 2, but only the campaign. Right. This is the single-player campaign of which they promoted last week, I believe, in a surprise drop that said, hey, this is coming out soon. Was that only last week? I feel like that was like weeks ago. (laughs) No, that was like only last week. That's insane. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that That's exists. Happening. I believe it's $20. I believe so. Uh, but we have new video game news. Yeah, there's new news. Um, yeah. All right. Um, first up, Ubisoft. And they are going the God of War route. Yeah, I guess so. Yes, as they announced the new location of Assassin's Creed, uh, titled Assassin's Creed colon Valhalla. Yes, holla. Holla, holla at your girl. <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla teaser uh, stream, which aired basically all day today, but concluded with another teaser for tomorrow. And it looks like this is going to be the big one, or at least the new one. Yeah. Ubisoft will hold a full fat reveal event for the upcoming game on uh, tomorrow, Thursday, April 30th at 8 a.m. Pacific time. In the morning. Yeah, but that's really like 11 a.m. Eastern, so they get to like wake up to normal times. <laughs> right. Uh, today's stream 
was essentially a time lapse for a piece of art made by a reputable illustrator, Boss Logic, illustrating the game's themes. And while it was extremely long and threadbare, it did confirm and highlight a few key things. Mostly, most importantly, we got a name for this thing. And as the rumor mill had suggested for what feels like years now, the next Assassin's Creed game is indeed about Vikings. Uh, the art shown on the stream features Viking ships, axes, and most importantly, beards. <laughs> so put on your hardest helmet and prepare to plunder as the lead up for this thing had everyone thinking it was going to be somewhere in the Southeast Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. What are your feelings about this? Do you think they're going to differentiate their game enough where it won't just feel like you're playing God of War again? I feel like it's um, hilarious irony. <laughs> as when the God of War team was deciding on where to set their next uh, game in, it was either going to be in either Egyptian mythology or Norse mythology. <laughs> and they decided to go with Norse, which ended up being a good move as the same year that God of War came out, Assassin's Creed came out with Assassin's Creed Origins, which was an Egyptian-themed game. Yeah. And now Assassin's Creed is moving on to their own territory <laughs> in Norse mythology. Yeah, I mean, Viking well, territory. And they've both covered uh, Greek mythology. So really, we're just earning parody between the two. Yeah. Um, although I do accept, expect there to be more direct dialogue in God of War referencing Assassin's Creed than Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed dialogue referencing God of War. <laughs> That's true. Um, or at yeah. least poking fun at it. Will your curiosity get you to try this one out, or do we still think we're going to be a, an Assassin's Free, tr- Creed free uh, podcast here? Uh, the last Assassin's Creed I bought was um, Unity uh-huh. for the Xbox One when that came out, and I have not touched an Assassin's Creed game since, no matter how good they say it is. Yeah. Uh, and that's mainly due to the fact that after Assassin's Creed 3 the main character in the um, future timeline, Desmond, got killed. (laughs) And kind of like it went into the whole weird side plot of end of the world talk with deities and godlike creatures. And that's when I was like, okay, this got too weird for me. I just wanted to play some fake history ass game. (laughs) But, hey, who knows? Um, I've said more wrong things on this podcast than I've probably said my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably true. We've spent, like, what, a a sixth of, practically a sixth of our life doing this at this point? We spent 225 episodes doing this, plus making predictions on every single episode. (laughs) Yeah, chances are we're going to be wrong more than we're going to be right. (laughs) Yeah, but when we're right, oh, that beautiful, sweet, sweet chicken nugget <laughs> chicken that we're right. Yes. Well, yeah, it's a chicken nugget because we got to wait for it to actually hatch. <laughs> it's an egg, not a nugget. <laughs> you call it what you want. I'll call it what I want. 
Nuggets don't hatch. No, but they sure are delicious. Anyway. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, they weren't the only ones with a yeah. on new games. The bigger news story this week. Right. Because the bigger news story this week was supposed to release this week. Or release today, actually. <laughs> yeah, so much for that. Uh, as The Last of Us Part 2 original release date was supposed to be today, April 29th. Well, as we've noted on this podcast, that got delayed. And then as we noted two weeks ago, that got delayed again. Well, more gameplay footage for The Last of Us 2 has been published online by an anonymous Naughty Dog employee, which may or may not ended up revealing major story spoilers for the upcoming PS4 exclusive which included its cutscenes, level list, and what appeared to be the full plot. The footage was quickly taken down by Sony, but fans have provided a full, super-spoilery breakdown online. Naughty Dog acknowledged early leaks and spoilers for The Last of Us 2 story in an update on its official Twitter account. The studio admits that it's, quote, disappointing to see early footage and associated plot points circulating online, but maintains that the final experience will be worth it, no matter what you see before then. Okay. I have kept myself spoiler-free uh, so far on this. Yeah, same. I'm not interested in looking up spoilers for this. Uh, much in the same way I'm not interested in looking up spoilers for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, I've had or I've seen places being talked about like, oh, this experience in uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake like totally blew my mind, but I didn't like go look or they didn't go into any further detail than that and they didn't like allude to any more because they wanted like people's experiences to be fresh on it. I'm not one to go seeking stuff like that out. I'm when it comes to The Last of Us Part Two, I'm not in the same type of mindset head from that it was with say Avengers Infinity War Endgame where I was constantly looking at spoiler leaks and everything to try and get a good idea of this. Yeah. Because you remember back then I was like oh every new little detail breaking down every conspiracy theory ever on it. Yeah. And now I'm like oh I'll play it when I play it. And then I feel like Yes, there's a big difference between video games and movies, especially in time invested in them. But I'm sad that there's this game has been spoiled for people. Yeah. I mean, this story has been interesting to watch this week because depending on the outlet, there'll be wildly different takes on this story. Like, your take is what I'm seeing from some places where it's mostly been about spoiler culture and like what like we like as like as society, especially now with everybody being online at the same time um, should do about these and how to avoid being spoiled and all that. Then other outlets are using this as a vector to talk about the why this happened. Like you mentioned that the source is supposedly an anonymous naughty dog employee. And so people are talking about 
is this a revenge thing where the employee like was worked to death on crunch on this thing and felt like he needed to like put out something even if it is a small morsel for the fans like because he wanted to like get one on naughty dog or something which of course then opens up the can of worms about labor on this game it's been very widely reported that naughty dog has been crunching hardcore on this thing to get it finished right i mean and we've also pointed out that they've been crunching i don't know they've been crunching to try and get this under released on time but then they just go and move the release date and it's like well what were we crunching for in the first place if you can just do that all all the whole time so yeah and i think something like that could have been a factor definitely um in someone doing something like this yeah so it's interesting it's one of those times where you really have to be careful with how you um report something because yeah like it's 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 one thing to be like, oh, and, and it's another, another conversation this has started is about Naughty Dog's response to this. So I don't know if you read or saw the little post that they made where they do kind of like warn their fans about the leaks. Did you see this? No, I haven't seen it because I'm trying to not see anything about it. Well, it doesn't have any information about the actual leaks themselves. It's just Naughty Dog's response. And they basically say, like, oh, the gist of it is, hey, watch what you see online. Don't let anybody spoil it. When You'll appreciate the thing when it, you can play it for real. But the way they open it is by saying, like, we know that you've been having a rough couple of days, as if talking to the fans which I think is hilarious <laughs> because it's like, wait a minute, like a rough couple of days, <laughs> read the room, guys. Yeah, that makes it kind of sound like they're in their own bubble. It definitely does. It makes it sound like, oh, yes, Naughty Dog, fans of The Last of Us 2 are only thinking about The Last of Us 2 right now. It's like, no, people got a lot of stuff on their plate right now. Like, it is crazy that they think that first and foremost on the top of those thoughts is a video game. (laughs) So, yeah. There's a lot of conversations that are happening around this thing. And above all, though, like, who wants to play this game right now? Because I, like, I loved The Last of Us. Don't get me wrong. It was a fun game when it came out. I think it was extremely well made. It did things with its narrative that hadn't been done before. And I liked the world that it created. I thought it was interesting and compelling in a way that I thought that even in 2013, zombie stories couldn't be anymore. I thought it was an interesting take on the zombie story that showed that it still had life. And now we live in an actual apocalyptic world. Yeah, but now that we live in an actual apocalyptic world, I don't know if I want that story anymore. And so to have the last well, What are you going to do? Like you put five years of your life into this game and just delay it for another year? I mean, what, what I'm saying is I don't know if I'm personally going to play it in calendar year 2020, even when it comes out. I might take a year off and wait, or at least wait to see feedback, to see if it's worth it. Because, yeah, I don't know if I want that energy in my life. Here's a, a snapshot of me playing Last of Us 2 when it came out. 
2013, I was playing it on an extremely small television. And while I was playing it, I was listening to Kanye West's Yeezus, which had come out around the same time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, talk about your throwback. It was a different time in my life. I was like ready for like edgy, weird ass stuff. Like that was what I was observing. Right now, I want to watch like freaking comfort food. Like I'm tired of thinking about like like death and like danger and knowing that like you could go outside and be infected. Yeah, I mean, why do you think Animal Crossing is like the number one game right now? Exactly. There's a reason why we're all in Animal Crossing and not talking about Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal. That there's a reason why that why we as a society ran with one and kind of rejected the other. I, I mean, really think why, so. Why everyone has decided to escape into a Final Fantasy of exactly. sorts. Yeah, what I can gather about the reaction to F- Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake is that they've done enough cool, fun things with that universe that it's been an enjoyable like thing to return to instead of just being about the nostalgia instead of being this dark, kind of brooding thing. Right, and, and that they've done a lot, like not just the initial gameplay, but a lot of side stuff too to keep right. people enjoying it so yeah ultimately i think it's just we're in a different headspace right now and so i just can't imagine like being it's not that i can't imagine being excited for this game it's just that i cannot do that like i cannot muster the energy to get excited about last of us 2 at this point well because video games usually try and offer some type of escapism and if you're going to try and escape into uh your dreary world into another dreary world. Yeah. It doesn't have the same excitement and it feels, why am I doing it to myself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> so yeah, ultimately, uh, we'll see how it does when it comes out. We'll see um, the quality of the end product. Um, but yeah, I guess if you do care, this is just us warning you, like, there are spoilers about, so be careful with where you go. In case you haven't already seen the spoilers. Yeah. Uh, but on a side note, because this is Sony related, Sony is having a sale right now on the PSN store yeah. where you can get games for under $10. Granted, these are games that came out probably two years ago now. But, but hey, hey waiting. sale is a sale. And if you haven't played it before, it's new to you. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So go check that out if you want some cheap, cheap games. Yep. Oh, also, in a side note, if you want some social games... Jack, uh, Jackbox Games is currently having a Steam sale. However, do, don't go to Steam. If you go to Steam, you won't see the right prices. Go to the jackbox.com website, their home, and you can get all six of their uh, games for $100, yeah. which they'll send you an email, Steam codes, which you can redeem on Steam, and play social distance games. Yes, exactly. I was going to say, and they are... Having a moment right now, let me tell you. So that oh, yes. I mentioned earlier that I had attended a virtual book club or book festival this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't super surprised when the final event of the night was let's have all these authors play Quiplash together. Hey. And I was like, yep, uh-huh. This checks out. Mm-hmm. Yep, this checks out. 
It's really it's easy what everyone's to play doing. streaming for an audience. Yep. So yeah, because they're having a moment right now. So get in on some Jackbox games if you haven't. Well, yeah, Jackbox games are on sale at Jackbox's website. Yeah. You can get every single game is discounted right now, or at least all their bundle games are discounted right now, and therefore Steam codes only. So yeah, have some fun with that. Yep. But other than that, I think that wraps us up here. Um, unless you played some video games, you play anything this week? Um, I've been playing the Golf Club 2. I'm currently going through my second career tournament. I am in first, surprisingly. <laughs> Um, by like a hundred points though. Nice. So I am going up. It's me in first place, and second place is Matthews J. Take with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I, I'm not playing. Uh, but yeah, you're basically right on my heels. Who knew? And we're in the last, um, the last course. It's a two-round golf tournament. I'll probably be broadcasting that, and you can see me fail on the back nine. All right. I'm excited. <laughs> After seeing you do that in real life at your bachelor party, I'm excited to see it digitally. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do pretty good, and this is set to some pretty easy standards, so I'm <laughs> doing pretty fine. I'm still learning the mechanics of everything, but my putting game yeah. is uh, atrocious. <laughs> By the way, can you believe believe that that like doesn't your your bachelor party feel like it was like ages ago? It was six months. Can you believe that? <laughs> that was only six months ago? It's only six months ago. It seems like a different era. It definitely does. <laughs> anyway, um, I've been playing more uh, Fancy Star Online too. I thought you said we were going to drop off that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I jumped back into it. Oh my god, it's, again, I want to reiterate, it's not a good game. There are missions that are called story missions, right? Yes. You do them, and they're literally just play a cutscene at you. And that's all you're doing? And there are some missions, like, where I'm like, oh, to complete this, I have to get to a story mission. But in order to get to the story mission that earns you experience, you need to literally click on movies play and just watch all of them to get to the one that actually you play a game Boo. <laughs> and i was Boo. just like what is this why is this here and then there's a bunch of missions that i can't do until i'm level 20 right mm-hmm. but there are not enough other missions to get me there so i have to grind Oh, that sucks. I'm like level 19 finally, but I have to do this optional shit in order to get to the stuff that I can actually earn prizes for. Yeah, but that's still fun. Optional stuff's supposed to be fun stuff, or at least entertaining stuff to get you like the better stuff. Oh, no. that's Not grind. That sounds like a grind game. None of this is that fun. Like, the loot stuff is fun, but to get to the loot stuff, you need to grind so much. There's so much just like wandering these maps that are like badly designed with these enemies that are just annoying and like they respawn too if you revisit locations yeah i mean i've (laughs) had the same kind of grinding feeling with rhythm star Uh uh-huh yeah where it got to the point where oh like one of the missions was you need to summon this person but you can only do that by doing the uh 
like special side event. event quests. Yes, I ran into that too. Getting but the, some of them, Suzanne. like, it'll stop allowing you to do them until you reach a certain level. Yeah, Suzanne Valadon. Yes. Yeah, I got her finally. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the main reason why I stopped playing that game. I haven't gone back. Oh, I hit a wall in that game. Level 70. Yeah. Level 70 requires you to uh, not miss five times to complete it. Oh. And there are two portions that I can't not miss. And so I just, I've hit a wall. I'm like, I don't know if I want to play this game. Okay. I'm at level 73. Oh, I just, I could not beat 70. No. Yeah. I, I stopped getting like the, the, like caring about one star, two stars. Oh. Like, 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 I tried to always get three stars and hit reset, but yeah, eventually I got to the point where, like, I just don't care anymore. I think I've three starred everything except for the last bunch of levels before 70. Yeah. Uh, once like, I completed all 10, I went back and restarted them. Jeez. It was a pain. Yeah. But, anyways, I've also been playing a Disney Arena, Sorcerer's Arena, constantly on my phone. That's my yeah. new addiction game. Okay. But yeah, let's uh, wrap this up then. Yeah, okay. Well, that will be it for the Media Boat Podcast for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you want to hear this episode and our archive of all the episodes we've done since day one, you can go to podcast services such as Apple Podcasts or any RSS feed-driven service and search Media Boat Podcast. You can also find us streaming um, when we are return to being able to do this as a live show on YouTube. You can also watch old streamed episodes as well. Just go to YouTube and search Media Boat Podcast. Yeah, we may not do live stream shows, but we'll probably find some way to do put shows on YouTube video-wise. Yeah. Next Figure week. something out. Um, you can also find us on social media channels like Twitter, where our handle is at Media Boatcast. Facebook, where you can search Media Boat Podcast and find us that way. Um, Twitch.tv slash Media Boat, where you can watch play, us play video games like your golf club tournament shortly. Um, and um, yeah, that's it, I guess, for now. If you want to ask us questions, you can also send emails to us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. I think that does it for us. Then we'll be back next week with more thoughts on stuff and more news. Indeed. So catch us next time. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.